This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another InsideCarolina.com podcast. This is the Coast to Coast, brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt. Today, we're talking to Matt Norlander of CBS Sports. It is the Coast to Coast Podcast. I am your host, Joey Powell. With me as always, for the Coast to Coast, Sean Moran, Sherelle McMillan, the KC and JoJo to my whatever the other two dudes in Jodeci's name were. We're bringing on a special guest today, uh, senior writer and college hoops analyst for CBS Sports and CBS Sports HQ. He's also the co-host of the Ion College Basketball Podcast. And at, at the risk of making an obscure office reference here, Bears, basketball, blues traveler. Does that sound good, Matt Norlander? Bears, basketball, blues traveler does sound good. That is a relatively... Obscure office reference. I'll go quick comment off the top here. Yeah. First of all, go Bears for sure. <laughs> I mean, we can talk uh, Justin Fields if you want to. Just we for can a straight uh, up hour. The Trubisky thing didn't work out. That's okay. Trust me. Don't even open that door because I can go on Fields for you easily. Um, obviously big on hoops and then Blues Traveler. Yes, that is uh that's pure '90s nostalgia for me right there. Although I don't get the reference, so my wife will still watch The Office from time to time. Like, as we record this podcast, if there's an office rerun on, like, Comedy Central, she's going to be finding it, and I'm going to go back downstairs, and she's going to be cracking up. I got to be honest. It's not as, like, dated to me as something that was so uber popular and then had this weird renaissance. Like, to me, Friends is borderline and unwatchable. The office isn't that, but I don't know, man. Maybe it's because part of our jobs is to have to be on Twitter a ton and like these memes keep getting, I think the office might be the most reshared memed show at this point that I just don't have any appetite to go back to these episodes. So the reference that you're making, it's kind of lost on me in the moment, although I'm sure I've seen the episode that you're referring to. Okay. So context, it is the episode where, uh, Jim Halpert comes in dressed like Dwight. I remember He's got like the, the, the drugstore glasses that he said he paid nothing for. He's got a computer watch, uh, or a little calculator watch, and he sits down wearing a mustard-colored shirt mm-hmm. uh, and has his hair done like Dwight, and he starts asking Dwight questions in Dwight voice, and Dwight finally picks up on it, and he says, Bears beats Battlestar Galactica. So <laughs> for you, I switched it up, went Bears, Basketball, and Blues Traveler. But all that aside, Sherelle, Sean, how are you guys doing tonight? I'm good. I, I'm just marveling at this office talk. I'm not an <laughs> avid office watcher, so I have no idea what you guys are talking about. I'm judging Not you a, a little bit. Sean, please help me out. You you watch The Office, no? I, I watched it, uh, you know, what is it now, 10, 15 years, years okay, ago? Now so. I just feel really old, thanks. Um, so getting, <laughs> getting rolling, the reason that we brought Matt on here is because with his role with CBS Sports, he kind of has more of a grasp of the college basketball landscape than anybody does, uh, specifically for this time of year. Um, Matt is, is fully in-depth with knowing who's coming back, who left, what transfers landed where, what coaching changes are up. And right now, if you're following Matt on Twitter, at Matt Norlander, that's, um, right. that's two T's in Matt. Uh, he's actually uh, he's releasing what CBS Sports has done. They call their Candid Coaches Series. And you've probably heard about it or seen about it, where they poll a huge number of coaches in college basketball, and all of their, uh, all their responses are kind of uh, amalgamated anonymously so that you guys kind of get to share out what the, what the survey is. The first thing I want to ask you before we get into any specifics about it, Matt, whose idea was this? You know what? The series dates back to 2012, and I cannot honestly give you who came up with it, but when we first did it, it was me and Gary Parrish, who are still obviously at CBS, and then at the time, the other two national writers were Jeff Goodman 
and Jeff Borzello. And we were definitely in search of, we went on the recruiting trail in July of 2012. And I want to say that was, I want to say July 2012. I could be mistaken. I think that was the Wiggins Randall summer. I think that's when it was. But anyway, um, we wanted to get a few things that could have like kind of long lasting impact in the summer because uh, the month of August and the month of September, for the most part, uh, mostly if you're not specifically referring to recruiting and 247's gotten even bigger, obviously, since since what it was nine years ago, um, the news cycle for college basketball nationally, it's not that it's non-existent. It's just really, really hard. So you'd like to have stuff that's up and interesting and, and fresh. And so I don't know who came up with it. Uh, one of us did. Um, and it was kind of a thing where it's like the four of us were on the road. You go to these recruiting events and you're at games from basically nine in the morning until nine at night with a lunch break in between. And you're sitting there talking with coaches informally. And we thought, yeah. well, why don't we just ask them not the questions to start with, but just like you have natural conversations and then three, five, seven different topics will come up. And then you kind of assemble, okay, what questions do we want to ask for this? And we would go back and that's when you could go to Vegas and there was a ton of stuff in Vegas. So we'd ask more in person in Vegas and then follow up on the phone or text message after July was ending. And then that's basically the genesis of it. So we've done it every single year since 2012 with actually the exception of 2020 because last season, a year ago in the summer, like no one knew if there was going to be a season and we didn't want to do a candid coaches with like seven COVID questions. So we actually did not do it in 2020, but we brought it back this year. And um, it's always a lot of work because it's just me and Parrish now. And yes, we do. We basically <laughs> land on somewhere between 105 and 110 coaches across the sport. And they can be as prominent as current active hall of fame coaches to literally like the third assistant in the big South on a seventh place team. <laughs> so we do. And I do try and make a point that more than 50% of the coaches we pull are at the high major level. Cause a lot of the topics are more relevant to them, but I don't try and narrow it to only guys in the six or seven biggest conferences. And I don't repeat the coaches. So I actually have a running tally of who I've interviewed for this, at least on my end, Parrish has his own, um, so for instance, like the guys that I interviewed for it this year in 2021, like I won't hit up any of them, uh, to like minimally, at least like 2024 or 2025, just to kind of cycle in new voices and all that kind of stuff. Well, it's a really, really, really cool concept. And I think it's kind of generated probably organically. And you guys probably also wanted to, you know, wanted to kind of steer things, but organically, uh, it's kind of given you the opportunity to, get the pulse of two of the most seismic for lack of a better term shifts in two of the bigger programs in college basketball in changes in head coaches at Duke and at North Carolina. And so that was one of the questions you guys asked. You put that up recently. Uh, it obviously hit, you know, dead center of the bullseye for InsideCarolina.com subscribers on our message board. Tell us a little bit about how you guys set that up and then kind of what your initial responses to the responses you got were so what were you and gary's initial responses to to what you guys saw were you shocked by what came out of it were you uh were you surprised did you kind of get what you thought mm -hmm. you were going to get um and just right. dive into that for us sure so uh the genesis to this question in particular although it kind of seems obvious in retrospect um i had when i went to the nike eybl in north augusta south carolina back in july um I was sitting with one coach. This was a this was a head coach at a mid-major program. And I remember the gym we were in, but I don't remember who we were watching. Um, but like Shire was in there and Hubert was in there. And uh, the coach was just kind of like, all right, who's going to last longer? And he kind of pointed. And I was like, oh, that's a that's, I was like, that's an interesting question. I'm going to steal that for candid coaches. And then either later that day or the next day, another coach basically started talking about like, all right, are we thinking John Shire when he takes over Duke? Like, are we thinking he's making it to like a second contract? How do we think that's going to go versus how it's going to go with Hubert Davis? And I was like, this is so wild. You're bringing this up because I had another coach talk to me about this earlier. And uh, so then we got to talking about it. So that's the genesis of the question, which I, I love when it's coaches just kind of informally gabbing and they give uh, a seed to an idea. And I knew this was gonna be one of the two or three this year that was just going to generate the most kind of response. Now, when we then started to, to do this, 
Um, the timeline of this is important to know. So I think I interviewed about 60% of the total coaches that were polled for this and GP had another 40 to 42% or whatever. And my good buddy, Gary Parrish, he actually went on vacation in the middle of when we were doing all of our interviews and why that's important is when he got back is when he got the majority of his questions answered. And that came after Derek Lively committed to Duke. So once Shire leapfrogged Kentucky in the overall class rankings for 22, I think his, his return for Shire over Hubert, I think it was like 82 to 18% or something like that. Mine was not. Mine was like 57%, 58% for Shire, which was much closer than what, to what I thought it was going to be. So as to the overall vote tally, it broke down to 71-29 overall. 71% of the coaches we polled said then five years from now, Duke will be in a better spot than Carolina. That split did surprise me, but I also didn't think that Shire was going to be landing these five stars this quickly and they'd be committed. Like this is this timeline, as your listeners are aware of, with a lot of these five-star players and even some four-star players, like that has been a little accelerated here. And some of that's because of official visits and stuff that uh, changed this summer because of the pandemic. But I did have some surprise with that. And part of my surprise was, I didn't get too much this to this in the piece because ultimately you're going to vote one or the other. Right. And I want to say like, I don't know, maybe a dozen coaches I spoke with that voted for Duke. They like kind of talked themselves through why Carolina and Hubert would be a completely reasonable choice, but then they ultimately just landed on Duke because of the recruiting and because in their minds, Duke just has a little bit of more momentum right now. Um, so, it was interesting when I tallied it up at the end being like, yeah, but when I reflect back on the conversations I had with coaches, this was not, it wasn't as dominant as it seemed, although I expected Duke to win. And if you made me pick one or the other, I would pick Duke if I had to pick one or the other. Um, but it's important to also have the context of this. As I put in the story, it's not like coaches are saying, when we look up in the year 2026, Duke's going to have, what's regarded as like the number three program in the country and Carolina is going to be the number 18, number 23 or number 31. They're going to have fallen off a cliff. It's not that it's who's in a better position. So for some of these coaches, they're saying, yeah, no, Duke's going to probably still be like top five and Carolina. Well, might be, might be somewhere between like seven and 10, but I'm answering the question. And so for that, I'm going to give you Duke. So uh, kind of as a follow-up, uh, two questions. One, um, was it the recruiting piece you think that kind of stood out the most to the coaches to say, you know, Duke is going to be more successful because they're bringing in, you know, higher ranked players, you know, better, better classes as far as rankings are concerned. Um, curious your thought on that. And then two, what is the national perception of North Carolina right now? Because we're so engulfed in the bubble that we don't really get that wide angle view. So I'm just curious what you think the national perspective is. Yeah, I'll answer those in order, Sherelle. Um, the first one was deaf. I definitely think the recruiting thing was an overwhelming factor as to why it was a 71-29 split. I go as so far as to say, if you took two five stars off the board right now, and specifically Lively for sure, um, but even like Derek as well, if they were not committed to Duke right now, I just, I, you cannot convince me that it wouldn't have been much closer to like a 62, you know, 62, 38 kind of split 60, 40, somewhere in there. I just think the timing of when we asked this question and Duke hitting, hitting, you know, the jackpot, if you will, with these five stars in, in August and early September, that's why this got swayed. Cause a lot of these coaches also, like when we're when we're polling and surveying them, they are in the midst of doing in-home visits, on-campus visits. Like they're very much in a recruiting mindset because practices haven't started yet. They're still doing workouts and they're looking around. And if they're at a small college or in a, in a mid-major conference, they're seeing like they follow the sport. They follow the news cycle. So many of them, they're seeing that Duke is making headlines. And so that has an impact on their opinion or they're in the mix and either recruiting like the same players on the same team as other players that Duke recruited. And I think that has a, has a way of, of filtering on through as for like the overall, are you, was your question, Sherelle, more about like, what is the reputation and perception of North Carolina in the coaching industry as, you know, kind of the stature of the program in the here and the now, as it, as it transitions under Hubert, is that kind of what you were getting at? 
Close. And I would say in general, uh, from a media perspective as well, okay. um, just about how they do things, you know, where they are relative to their peers um, and, and that sort of angle. Yeah. Uh, so I can speak on certainly on the on the behalf of the, uh, the media angle. I'd say Carolina right now uh, has so much intrigue around it because it's coming off of what's fascinating is I think many people in media circles consider Roy William, not all, obviously. Many people think that Roy Williams is the greatest coach in program history. And if you look at it in terms of titles, that's irrefutable. If you look at it, how he did it in the competition he went up against, uh, it's easily arguable. And so with that as backdrop, um, the fact that you have Hubert Davis taking over with no head coaching experience. And again, this kind of blows my mind that we're having Duke and Carolina open within a year and the guy is getting the jobs. Like you think about these jobs, you would think you need sitting experience as a head coach Neither of them have this and they're getting it. I think that's just completely fascinating and in a way good for the sport because it's going to drive obviously a ton of local interest, but it does drive national interest. Um, there was one coach in that candid coaches piece who gave me the quote about Duke just seems to be more on it with social media, promoting its brand, the brotherhood, yada, yada. And Carolina just seems a little bit sleepy. Um, I don't think that the media considers UNC to be lagging behind or a bit sleepy. I think some people in the coaching fraternity might think that. Now, I also think that something like this, like if you told me that this story was posted around four or five times in the Carolina facility, I'd 100% believe you. Because <laughs> sometimes these things just happen. Like, it is what it is. Not my opinion. It's what the coaches said, right? So, um, so if they're sleepy, this is certainly going to wake them up. But the perception of where UNC is, like in the here and now, like historically – Quite clearly, this is a top three program in the history of men's college basketball. But like in the here and now, if you had to rank programs and considered everything, head coach, their current roster, who they have landed for recruits in the coming year or two, um, their prospects in the next two to three years, like where does Carolina fall? Not what not where does what is UNC's team rank this season? That's a, I'm talking about just like let's try and encapsulate the past four years of UNC hoops and the next four years. And let's try and create an echelon here. And where does UNC fall in that? If I was going to speak on behalf of kind of the greater college basketball industrial complex, I'd say that UNC is still in the top 10 of that conversation, but maybe fringe because there's a lot of uncertainty with Hubert. You just got to, you got to see it happen. And that's a, it's a fair and valid opinion, but, you know, I don't think that this is a situation where UNC is in Duke's shadow. Frankly, I don't think, I don't think UNC can ever be in Duke. If for that to ever happen, you'd have to have this kind of situation where like UNC is going year, you know, multiple years without making the NCAA tournament and Duke is like making the final four. Otherwise that's just not going to happen. Like, so there is um, certainly a lot of high regard still with this program, but there's just a huge question mark coming off of, you know, the tail end of Roy's career, which it came as a surprise in part because he was just such a wicked competitor. I get the, the dad gummit stuff and all that. But um, when he did retire and it was on April fool's day, like some people didn't buy it at first because of the date, but also because, you know, UNC was coming off of one of the historically worst seasons ever. Right. And then it made the tournament last season, uh, but it was just an okay season in a pandemic. Right. And they didn't win a game. And you guys would know this off the top. Of your, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm out of i uh, I'm out of season a bit here, but like hadn't Carolina won like 30 games in a row in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And this was the first time they had lost in decades. First time Roy Williams had ever lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament. There we go. So this idea that this is how he would go out was just kind of shocking to people. And it's why, you know, kind of wrap up a, an elongated thought, but I hope I'm kind of hitting on some stuff you're looking for. Um, plenty of, uh, respect for where it lands. Like it's ahead of an Indiana right now, irrefutably. Right. But it's behind Gonzaga. It's behind Duke. It's behind Michigan. It's behind Villanova. Um, I'm trying to think of like where else in the hierarchy it could behind Kansas, obviously. Um, but then after that, like it starts to, you know, Baylor up for discussion, certainly probably behind Baylor. When you look at it again, Baylor's got its coach. We'll have a top 15 team again this season. Um, that's where, that's you know, generally speaking, that's where it falls right now. So I think it's really unique because Tar Heel fans as a whole are used to kind of being in that top 
1%. You know, that top three or four names mentioned, you know, when you think Blue Bloods, you think UNC. <laughs> and I think it's tough for Tar Heel fans to understand that, hey, there has been some slippage while other teams have really kind of cemented themselves over the last three or four years. You're not talking about a 15-year period. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that when folks are going back and looking at the piece that you guys are doing, specifically with respect to Shire at Duke and Hubert Davis at UNC, uh, that it's, you know, it's you're not talking about 20 years, you're talking about a small window uh, right. and kind of a fraction of that 20-year period. I'm going to let Sean jump in here and uh, and pick your brain a little bit. Sean, go ahead. Sure. Um, for, you know, first off, I kind of found the the answers pretty pretty interesting on, on both sides, but there was one that jumped out to me um, regarding Hubert Davis, and it was a coach kind of talking about his NBA experience as well as really having a competitive side. Um, and, and I saw that in a piece actually Sherelle just put out the father of a recruit kind of mentioned his New York Knicks experience. I was curious if that kind of came up, um, you know, with other coaches in terms of obviously he, does, he doesn't have the head coaching experience, but he did have a very successful NBA career. And I was curious just kind of what some, you know, some of the other detail that came out about Hubert Davis from his coaching, coaching peers. Yeah. The coach that gave me that quote is a sitting head coach in a power conference. And what I try and do is either the quote's just so good I have to include it, or this quote kind of gets at things that were referenced by a few other coaches. So the single quote is representative of potentially multiple conversations I I had uh, over the phone or in person and occasionally over text with some other coaches there. As it pertains to his NBA experience, yes, I think that is a significant factor. And I will sh- I'll share something with you on the pod here that I didn't put in the story because, frankly, it wasn't relevant. And uh, you might even get some disagreement there. But I had two coaches and neither of these coaches, are the coach that gave me that quote, but they brought up to me. They said, listen, Hubert, having this NBA experience actually is probably going to be pretty significant because now he's going to be able to run the program that he went the way he wants to run it. Yes, he's inheriting it from Roy. And there's going to be some things the way that Roy did it that he's going to continue. But he is going to have this thing going the way he wants to do it. And the fact that he actually has NBA experience would be, will be pretty good because, you know, and the two coaches who talked to me about this, they, they have good relationships with NBA people. They said, listen, the fascinating thing about Carolina is this, they have consistently been so very, very, very good under Roy Williams and Roy Williams has been a great coach, but some of their guys, when they get to the league, Sometimes it's hit or miss. Like you draft them, they go in, they show up for training camp, they show up for that rookie year, and they just aren't as ready. They are just not as prepared. They're a little bit behind the curve. He said it's not every Carolina player, but there are some Carolina players where the guy you thought you were getting because you drafted them, then you kind of get in them with day to day. They are just not uh, as well equipped. And some of that might be because of the stuff that Roy was running. But it wasn't every guy. It was just some guys. And so that one of these coaches said specifically, it's like, I think Hubert having this NBA background is kind of why I'd, I'd go with him over Shire and Duke because he's a bit older. He's been coaching longer. He's kind of seen college basketball from all sides as an elite player. He did it on the media side. He obviously played in the NBA and now he left, like he left a great job on television. He probably would have never had to give up because of a pure love for the game and kind of doing it for the right reasons. And I thought that was very fat. This is why I love doing the series, because, again, these coaches, when we assure them that we're not going to reveal who we talk to and uh, in any kind of way, like they will be fairly forthcoming and honest, albeit, you know, with the cloak of anonymity. And so to hear this, it was one of the more eye opening things about it. And I didn't put in the story because, like, I don't think the fact that if you take, you know, this is a pure hypothetical. This is not numbers that were given to me, but like, okay, the past 10 UNC guys that were drafted. Five of them showed up and they were they were kind of good to go. But then five of them were just frankly behind behind the eight ball. Um, I didn't think it would have been fair to uh, purely put that on uh, Roy and, and his staff over the years. But I will say that there is a little bit of that for Carolina players going into the NBA. And one of those coaches specifically was saying, like, I think that reputation might be able to subside here with the way Hubert's going to do stuff and his NBA background. Yeah. And, you know, obviously I don't talk to as many coaches as you, but, you know, I, I can confirm that that definitely that is something that has been an issue at UNC or has been talked about as an issue at UNC that has been used against them in recruiting for, for some time, the player development piece. Right. Um, but my, I, before we close out our, the conversation on the series, I, I had a question for you. And it goes back to Roe Williams a little bit, because one thing that I always heard, um, and it's it's been... I guess you want to call it a stereotype, whatever you want to call it. But um, there was this idea that he skipped a line 
And that always brought some negative feelings from him, I felt, from other coaches, that he went from an assistant at UNC to the head coach at Kansas, the head coach at uh, UNC. He never toiled away at, you know, Southeastern Louisiana. He didn't coach in the Big South or, or the MAC or whatever. Do you think there is, for the people who gave negative opinions of Shire and uh, Davis, do you think there's a little bit of that for them? Because they're both, you know, longtime assistants whose first job is, you know, two of the four biggest jobs in college basketball. Now that you bring it up, it wouldn't surprise me if it's out there, but 100% honesty, I did not pick up on that at all. Although, I mean, how can there not be with Shire to an extent? Like people, at the same time, people get it because mm -hmm. Duke was always going to hire a Duke guy. And when you look at all the other K assistants, I actually, I don't know if Amaker was ever, I would have hired Tom. I've said this before, like Shire's fine choice. I just would have hired Tommy Amaker. Like he's just been coaching longer and he's coached at that level. There's no guarantee it would have worked, but I actually thought that he would have been the ideal guy. But for all we know, and we'll never know that, but for all we know, you know, Kay could have gone to Amaker and be like, you know, I'm debating between you and, and John. This is, you know, completely private. But like, if I were to offer it to you, it would be something that you, you know, and might, maybe Tommy would have said no. But the more likely thing is that he looked at his staff and he wanted to continue the way that he said on the record about this kind of stuff. I did not get a lot of that, though. Um, could there eventually be some of that? Yeah. But again, like specific, like, I don't think it's really there with Hubert for the reasons I just mentioned a few minutes ago about his path to landing here. Right. And it is significant. He's the first black coach in the history of, of UNC basketball. And man, there were a lot of people when he got that job that were really, really, really happy, like happy for him um, because he carries a really good reputation. As for Shire, again, it's just like they knew he was going to be a Duke guy. So the, I guess the the environment around college basketball is probably different now than when Roy got that Kansas gig and kind of making the leap that he made. Although, you know, undeniably, he, he was the right man for the job and, and look where it sent him. I mean, he's one of the five or six best coaches in the history of college basketball because of it. And we're talking to Matt Norlander of uh, CBS Sports, CBS Sports HQ. Matt, one more question before we get on from the Candid Coaches series and start talking about some, some UNC-specific stuff. What do you guys do with trash answers? Right. Like when you're pulling that many coaches and you're asking this many random questions, what do you guys do with absolute garbage answers? And can you share one that hasn't made uh, hasn't made it off the cutting room floor? Because I think I'd be pretty entertaining. Like by like. OK, so I, I can't. All right. How about this? For example, I don't let these coaches off the hook. Uh -huh. So. I'm not going to give you who. But. I had, I straight up had a coach who refused to answer this question. This, he's like, I'm not going to give you the, I don't, I don't want to give you the answer. And I had actually never pulled. It's a sitting head coach. I won't say where, I won't say what level, any, any of that. But when he did this, I was like, I'm never, I'm never going back to this coach again for this series. Cause this is just straight up annoying. Just answer one or the other. And he's like, ah, I'm not gonna, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pick one or the other. It doesn't seem fair. I'm like, what are we doing here? Like what? And there's occasionally coaches where they get an either or question and they pick like, for example, we recently had a question, will cheating increase or decrease with the new NIL rules? Saw that. And we had like, we had like six coaches say, it's going to stay the same. It's not going to stay the same. <laughs> the question is, is it going to go up or down? It's not. So, and like, it, rest assured, if, if you get to stay the same, like it's, it's because either Parrish and I got one of those over like text message. And I was just like, I'm not going to. I'm just not going back at them. Um, do we get trash answers? Yeah, occasionally. But usually if I get a trash answer, it's just getting deleted in my Google Doc or if I'm getting it over the phone, I'm just not typing it. So I don't have much to give you. But yes, it, it does. It does happen. Um, it does happen. There's no doubt about it. But uh, but in the, with the, this year was actually pretty good. Aside from the coach, he didn't answer that question. He didn't answer two other questions either. So well, annoying. But whatever. I mean, I as, as we all know, and everybody listening to or watching this pod or the guys on this pod, we all know that coaches have huge egos. So I could see where you're going to get some some obstinance at some point. Uh, yeah. Let's take a quick break. I want to give a shout out to Johnny T-shirt because Johnny T-shirt is not going to make you answer hard questions. Johnny T-shirt is going to provide you with good top-notch UNC branded gear. They're not going to hit you with a you know, when you hit them with an either or, they're not going to hit you with a, oh, I don't know, or it's going to stay the same. Johnny T-shirt's here to give you the gear that you need. They're not going to sidestep the hard issues. They're going to bring you top-notch, beautiful name brand Tar Heel clothing, memorabilia, swag, whatever you want to call it. 
Johnny T-Shirt's got it. Hit them up on East Franklin Street or johnnytshirt.com. They've got very fast, reasonable shipping. Uh, and Inside Carolina Premium subscribers know that you get an extra 10% off the top with your order if you use the code FOUND on the Inside Carolina Premium message board. So check out Johnny T-Shirt. We are big fans of theirs. They love us. We love them. We want you to love them too. Let's take a quick break. Let some of the national guys drop some of their ads in here. And we'll be right back to talk more to Matt Norlander. We're going to talk a little bit about UNC, prognostication for the season, and what the national landscape might look like. Stick around. Hey, guys, this is Ross Martin from Inside Carolina. I want to talk to you about Inside Carolina's new podcast sponsor. It's Blue Shark Vodka. Blue Shark Vodka is a family-owned vodka company based out of Wilmington and Wrightsville, North Carolina. It's available in all 100 counties. And the thing about Blue Shark Vodka is it's the smoothest vodka in the world. It's made with sweet North Carolina corn to create the world's smoothest vodka. It's been distilled four times and then mellowed for 28 days to create that full blooming and awaking flavor each batch is in triple filtered giving it a smooth clean finish and eliminates any of the alcohol bite guys i've been using it recently with some soda water fruit juice little lime juice it's great for tailgates it's light it's smooth and it's an award-winning premium vodka from north carolina local and family owned and it's available once again in all 100 counties so head to your local abc store to check out blue shark vodka I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right. We're back. Coast to Coast Podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. I'm Joey Powell. Over there, Sean Moran, Sherelle McMillan. With us today, Matt Norlander, senior writer and college hoops analyst for CBS Sports, CBS Sports HQ. He's also co-host of the Eye on College Basketball Podcast, which you can get where you find this podcast and any other podcast. Uh, those will start ramping up really, really soon. And if you need your college basketball fix, that's another good place to get it. Talking with Matt today about all sorts of stuff, but we felt like it'd be a great place to get started talking about what he sees after seeing all of these teams around the country and kind of doing his his summer research, his off-season grind, hashtag grind, whatever it is the kids say. Uh, Matt, what do you anticipate for this first season for Tar Heel basketball in such a pivotal place in program history going from Roy Williams, as we talked about before the break, to Hubert Davis. What are the first things that jump off the page at you uh, as, as potential pluses and then potential pitfalls? I will go, how about I just go direct big picture expectation? Here's my guess. UNC spends most of the season fringe top 25. They're in some weeks, they're out other weeks. And when we look up on Selection Sunday, they're safely in the tournament, but they're, uh, they're saying number seven seed. That's my big picture guess on what UNC will be this season. Uh, you know, obviously losing three post guys uh, hurts, but they get guys who are back and will be productive. Obviously, significant transfers coming in. Um, my guess on how about this? I'm going to give you a quick opinion. Let me know if you disagree. Maybe you agree. I don't know. I'm going to say their three most important players will be in this order. Baycott, Love, Dawson Garcia. Agree or disagree? I mean, I'm going to, you know, I think the most important is probably Caleb Love, just because he has, you know, there needs to be a ton of improvement um, in terms of how UNC will do. Um, so I think his improvement will, at least in my opinion, swing, you know, are they that seven seed or can they get up higher? Um, I think Armando it will be the best player and most consistent player, but I think a lot will hinge on Caleb Love's improvement. You guys disagree in that order, though? Baycott, Love, Dawson, Garcia? Are you thinking there might be a third guy that's, that goes ahead of either of them? I think you can make an argument for Corbin Walton. And he is um, lesser known. Um, he was the, the lowest rated recruit of the class of 2020 for UNC. But what he does, even with all the offensive firepower they seem to have brought in, what he does is just irreplaceable from where he does it, um, you know, on the wing. So I, I think because of his ability to shoot, it opens up so much for everyone else. So I think I would put him up there. And then uh, defensively, you know, if he is better defensively, then um, I think that bodes well for the team because Love can be a, a really good defensive guard. And so if you're starting backcourt, can 
really put pressure on the ball, then that helps, you know, the, the guys on the block and everything kind of meshes together. So I, I think Garcia and Walton are probably right there at, at three and four, but I would tend to go with Walton uh, above Garcia. Okay. I think Garcia has got a really good shot at being uh, just a, a kind of a national breakout player in that. Not that he wasn't known at Marquette, but when you're on the stage at UNC in this kind of season, I think they're going to set him up for some success. And while, you know, a player like him isn't readily available to, uh, you know, 10 or 12 teams every single, every single recruiting cycle, man, I could just see the way that he plays being an ideal model for the kind of big, you know, 6'10", 6'11", can be used in in a multitude of ways. Like maybe this is, you know, the prototype for UNC bigs going forward under Hubert. I don't know. I'll be interested to see that. Obviously love has to be just from an, again, from a national perspective, if Caleb love doesn't make Mark improvements, then what I told you will not be true. And Carolina will have struggles getting intensively tournament. He has to be better, right? It has to be. Cause I think like leaky black, uh, who we reference occasionally on the college basketball podcast, it's become something of a, of a running trope on our pod, uh, all in good nature. I, you kind of know, uh, what he is and what you're going to get out of him. Um, Brady Manick, I think is going to be a guy where, and this is just based off. I've watched this guy play. I don't know. Realistically, I probably watched 80 games that he's been involved with at Oklahoma. Um, you might get a seven point out of him, out of him. And then he could, I mean, if you tell me that, you know, one of the two Duke games, Brady Manick drops 24, including a huge three with like 30 seconds to go. I'm a hundred percent believe it. So he's almost like a house money kind of player. Um, pretty wily. Uh, I wish he was a little more wanting of a rebounder, but he's not, but just a nice kind of ad, like overall your roster, I won't spoil the exact number here. Um, but as this podcast is coming out, uh, this week, CBS sports is running my master one through three fifty eight rankings of every single team in the country. Cause I'm a psychopath, uh, but <laughs> people, people, people read it. So I will have UNC in my top 25 because I tried to basically split the difference at their peak. Objectively, that roster to me at its peak, 10, 11 in the country at its peak at its nadir. uh, I mean, I could see like 38 to 42. So try to kind of split the difference, throw them somewhere in that top 25, obviously back end. And I think that's fair. Um, I'm going to get to see him in person, which I'm excited for because they're coming up to my neck of the woods in Connecticut when they got to play Purdue in that Hall of Fame tip-off, and then they'll play um, another really good team the next night. Uh, but what a challenge. To, like, their schedule is what? They got Loyola. They got a roadie at Charleston, which I love, and I know Roy gave that to Hubert, but I love that as a as just someone who loves to see power conference teams play on the road. They're going to have a couple of, like, challenges if you will uh, minor ones but it's Hubert's start of his career the Purdue game is like okay let's see what you got because uh Purdue will be a preseason top 10 team and the eyes of some will be preseason top five so listen UNC is there with me in terms of most interesting teams heading into the season Duke for obvious reasons UNC Kentucky bounce back favor uh flavor what they do or what they don't Gonzaga can they run the table again in the regular season? Purdue, and I'd say, and UCLA. Those are the most interesting teams in the country. And there's plenty of other ones. Texas is probably in that group as well. I probably neglected to mention them. But that's the core group of teams where in that first three to five weeks of the season, I just want to see how they look. There's a lot of different things that are going to be going on with all of those teams. Um, and inevitably, at least one of them we are going to be wrong about, for good or for bad. Yeah. Yeah. You know, It's a numbers game, man. Correct. So we'll be we'll be wrong about one. Don't know who it is, but you know, that's kind of a, an overview of, of how I see UNC heading in. So let me ask you, who do you who do you project for UNC starting five? <sighs> OK, um, obviously, love, obviously, Baycott, um, I would say Garcia, um, I would say. <sighs> I would say Manic. And I would say Leaky. Is that? Eh, I mean, Walton. Walton's probably got to start. So Walton, Love, Leaky, Baycott, Garcia, Manic off the bench. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> the fact that you're asking it with that, um, that kind of hanging 
uh, that hanging tone at the end shows you what I think a lot of Inside Carolina subscribers are kind of scratching their heads about. It's it's a tough question right now, and Sean and Sherell and I haven't even boiled it down yet. So, um, yeah, let's uh, let, let's let's let Matt's ride for now, and then when we get into it, the preseason, <laughs> I think it's it's just as good of a question as anything. Um, I will say, Leaky has been a hot button for a lot of Inside Carolina subscribers for some time. So. It's going to be curious to see how uh, Coach Davis approaches that. Sean. I'm curious, uh, kind of backing out of UNC, just kind of your take on the ACC in general. I mean, you know, in the past, obviously they had the championship teams, Duke, Carolina, UVA, over the past six, seven years. Florida State's been in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, you know, there's been a lot of average to bad teams uh, as of late. And I was just curious, kind of your take on the state of the state of the ACC. It is, again, this season, when we get to the end of it, not going to collectively be at the level where I think ACC fans would hope it would be, but it's not going to be any sort of disaster or anything like that. Now, part of this, I'm sure this gets discussed on your show or on message boards and all that good stuff. I think part of this is just a natural fallout of when you have a league with all of these teams. There are, you know, it's just, I understand this is just the, the reality of things, but the ACC is three teams too big. And so you're always going to have like the bottom three teams are going to be hovering around in that overall, like Ken Palm, Torvik echelon. Like they're going to be between like, you know, 90 and 150, you know, and that's going to bring the league down. And we're going to have that again this season. Um, I don't know who the best team in this. I'm going to pick Duke to be the best team because I, I guess that's who I have to go with. Even after last season, I guess, I guess, but, and, and a lot of that might be Paolo, who I think is going to be an absolute monster. Like he's going to be just absurd, but I mean, they're, they're coming off of 13 and what, 13, 10 years, something like that. 13 and 11, um, man, I don't know. Last year, the best teams in the conference were Florida state and Virginia. And then there was a gap and FSU and UVA, if memory serves, those were both, I think they were on the four line. I know UVA was cause it got bounced after this COVID thing. I think FSU was also a four. And if you're the ACC or a fan of the team, in the ACC, like, I don't want to say it's not acceptable cause that's just way too haughty. And I know that's, but you're like, if we are in the ACC, okay. Every, every occasional year, we don't have a one seed. I get it. But like, we have to have at least a two seed at least, right. At least one, t- at least Two teams have to be legitimately in the conversation to be on the one, two, and three line. And if you can do that at the top, you're, you're getting it done well. And then you obviously extrapolate from there, and you're hoping that at minimum, you've got at minimum, you've got seven NCAA tournament teams. They might have had that last year. I don't remember. They were in that ballpark. But hopefully eight great years, you'll have nine or ten. Um, the ACC, in my opinion, this season is going to fall behind. Uh, Big, Ten will, Big Ten will be the best league. That'll be one. Big 12 will be two. Sean just threw up when you said what you said about the Big 10, by the way. He's a, Sorry. He's a big Big Ten, big ten hater, but go ahead. SEC, <laughs> SEC will be three, I think. ACC will be four. Pac-12 will be – oh, you know what? No, hold on. Big 10, one. Big 12, two. SEC, three. I'll stick with that. SEC, three. A- ACC, probably four. Big East, five. Pac-12, six. American seven. That's probably how it'll shake out there. And just one more quick thought off the thought here, like UVA going to be down. I think, although I, there's this thing with Tony Bennett where it's like, like I, I don't see that as a top 25 roster, but if come on, man, like we're going to look up in Florida, we're going to look up in February and, and Virginia is going to have like the second best record in the conference. And to be like, how is he doing this? But they're supposed to be down FSU supposed to be down. Um, Georgia Tech down, Carolina up, Clemson down, Louisville up, Q's flat, Duke up, Notre Dame up, Miami up. Who am I forgetting? I mean, like BC, whatever this Wake, year. Wake, Wake, Wake is up. Yeah. Wake is up. But I don't know how up, but they're up. Um, I think I didn't mention Pitt. Ideally, Pitt is up, but I don't know. So that, that's my kind of my overview. It's going to be a, a solid league. It's just I don't think it will be a great league, but I would love to be wrong. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you about UVA, actually, because it's kind of a thing now with us since 2015. I just assume that UVA is going to win the league, no matter who they have coming back or who left or whatever, just because, I mean, I don't want to use the word dominate, but they've been pretty close to dominating the ACC for the better half of a decade now. Um, so I was just curious, you know, you think they're going to be down. So that should be interesting. Um, as far as the ACC and individual players, can you give us two or three guys who you really, really look forward to watching? Um, and maybe one of those who, who people might not know, maybe a name kind of under the radar. Sure. Um, I will give you the obvious one first. I think Paolo Bancaro is going to be the player of the year in the conference. And I'm dangerously close to saying he'll be the number one pick. Not that I'm going so out on a limb, but Chet Holmgren's got a lot of that. I actually think that the, there's a, there's a lot of unknowns about who'll be the number one pick. Um, but Pancaro is definitely a dude that um, is just going to be so much fun to watch. He's big, can pass, can shoot, can play the post, can handle, can defend. Just I, I know what podcast I'm on, okay? But <laughs> he is just undeniable. I had a coach tell me that he believes Paolo is going to be essentially Zion-level efficient and dominant. And, and I was, I stopped and I was like, do you hear yourself right now? He's like, I know what I'm saying. Come back, come talk to me in January. I said, okay, well, we'll wait and see on that. Um, I don't need to talk about UNC. Obviously your listeners know what to expect or, or maybe not on that. Um, I'm kind of going through the league here. Like I think Louisville is going to be a by committee kind of group. Uh, as for Virginia, I, you know, They've got Jaden Gardner, who played at ECU and was a stat monster. Like, is it going to be him or Kihei Clark? I don't even know. That's why I said they're going to be down. Like, maybe Kihei Clark winds up being first team all ACC. I don't He's know. He's still there. I really thought he graduated. I'm not, I'm not joking. No, man. That, that whole I thought he graduated is going to be more uh, wearing down on the collective psyche this year than any year because you get the bonus yeah, year. Yeah. You have he, all he these dudes. He was going to get the Perry Ellis Award anyway, and now he definitely yes. gets the Perry Ellis Award. Yes. Well, that's that's what happens when you make an all-time play a fre as a freshman in the NCAA tournament. You know, um, you know, I'll give you a name if you want. Like, I'm not saying he's going to be first team All ACC, maybe not even second team All ACC, but I I think Notre Dame's going to the NCAA tournament, and I think Mike Bray's going to have a chance to sneak up and be like top four in the ACC, and they got a a transfer from Yale named Paul Atkinson that is going to be a dude. So Prentice Hub is probably going to be their best player. Nate Leshevsky, if he can make some big moves, he'll be good there at Notre Dame. But Atkinson, he's just kind of a guy like, if you're just looking for guys that you don't really know much about, I'm just telling you, that dude is going to be awesome. He's going to be very good for Notre Dame, and I keep an eye on him. Um, I'm still a Manny Bates believer at NC State. Uh, we'll see if he can kind of make a jump, but I like his, his upside overall there. Uh, who else in this league, man? Syracuse, you know, I, I hope you're ready for Buddy Beheim to be a thing. <laughs> Even more of a thing. I mean, it, it was a thing last year for the last two months of the season. I don't know that anybody yeah. else shot on Syracuse's roster except for Buddy Beheim. So, yeah, it's just he's going to probably put up the numbers where he's going to he's going to be first team all ACC. Probably. I, I think that's probably going to happen there. Um and then, like, a, another under-the-radar player I like on a team that's probably not going to make the tournament, like a Cameron Mogusty yeah. at Miami. Um, you guys are literally catching me in the middle of, like, doing my rankings, and I've been talking to some of the coaches in the league and just trying to get a feel for this. That's right. It gets, it gets but, some of our listeners some guys that they need to already have on their radar. Exactly. But I will say, like, this kind of stems from what I've also been talking with some of these coaches on. It's like, man, like, do we have a ton of star power in the league? It doesn't look like it going in, but – one of the wonderful things about college basketball, I love this, is um, people who, you know, we love the sport here. Like, we will look up at the end of January and the end of February, and there's just going to be, like, three or four guys where it's like, oh, yeah, they became the guy. And they're, like, they're they're a really good player in their own right. And within the confines, certainly within the conference and local coverage and all that stuff, like, there's going to be uh, there's going to be guys worth following there. But, um, yeah, just to put a bow on it, like, I, I just – I will be surprised if Paolo Bancaro isn't the clear-cut, no doubt about a player of the year in this conference. So I think he's just got it completely lined up for him because I don't think that Duke has a, a close second on that roster, and they're going to need him to be a hoss. I don't think that that's going too far out on a limb. I think, like you said, it you know, recognizing which podcast you're on may rub some folks the wrong way, but you're not an Inside Carolina reporter. You're a, a senior basketball analyst for CBS Sports, so we appreciate your honesty. Um, Matt? We appreciate you taking some time with us tonight, man. We're going to let you go. It's It's been almost a full hour, 
and I know you've got a lot of uh, not office watching to catch up on, uh, in addition to ranking all of the uh, Missouri Valley Conference teams that you have to, to break down and get those reports done on, too. That is correct. I do have UNC ahead of Loyola Chicago, but that, but, but not by much. That is they, they coming off of Sweet 16, those Ramblers, new coach and all. And all. Does but, Sister uh, Jean know that? Did you get, get her permission? Did not get her permission, but that remains, a, again, why do we love college basketball? Because a 102-year-old nun named Sister Jean, like, legitimately has office space in the athletic complex. I mean, I'm, I'm going to say, if, if you're putting, if you're throwing the, the name of Sister Jean out here and you haven't gotten her blessing, I don't know that I want that bad juju on my podcast. That, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but, yeah, no, guys, I appreciate it. And, uh, no, thank you so much. And uh, I hope to be down in your area once or twice a season. Seems like there might be some attention paid uh, at your school for for just a few reasons. So. Let's hope so. We'll chop it up. He's Matt Norlander, senior writer and college hoops analyst for CBS Sports, also the co-host for Ion College Basketball Podcast. Check him out. Read all his stuff. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, did I say follow him? Follow him on Twitter. Uh, make sure you can get all the content that Matt, Gary Parrish, all those guys are putting out. Uh, it's absolutely, if you can't get enough content uh, from Matt and those guys, then you, your content appetite cannot be satiated. But that's going to do it for us here on this episode of the Coast Coast Podcast on InsideCarolina.com. Sean, you good? We're good. You, you minted with your uh, your jailhouse wall background back there. <laughs> All right, just you know it. Just go get your get your toothbrush filed down and start scraping on the floor tonight, so everybody knows what your plans are for tomorrow. Sherelle, you good? Yep, appreciate it, Matt. All right, man. Uh, that's Sherelle. That's Sean. That's Matt Norlander. I'm Joey Powell. We'll catch you next time on the Coast Coast Podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.